But uh, it has been three years. It has been amazing. We've seen people come to faith in Christ, which just means to believe in him, um, to find their all in him, to make them the center of their life, his person, his teaching, his work. Um, And we've seen transformed lives because of that. As a church, we believe that um, our lives are only transformed by the power of God, and the power of God is most perfectly seen in the person of Jesus Christ as, as communicated through his word. And so three years ago, we began a journey to figure out how many people would actually come into these doors on Sunday morning and worship, and it's been a great journey. It was last November, we went to two services because so many of you came, we had to figure something out. Um, and so it's been a huge blessing. We don't know what the next 10, 5, 3, 20, 30 years uh, brings us. I just hope this worship team keeps playing. Amen. That's, man, that's a must. So you guys already know what your job is. Um, and our goal would be to continually invite people in to hear what the Bible says about God, about Jesus Christ, about their life, about who we are as people and who God is as creator. Such an important job for the Christian to always be ready, the Bible says, to give an account, to give a word of who God is. And not only just to defend him to the people that don't believe, but to present him to the people who have yet to believe. The Bible says that God has people out there. He says it all the time. Every, every city, every neighborhood, every state, every nation, every country, he has people in. He has people yet still to come to faith. And so our job as a church is to continually go out and let people know that Jesus Christ is the only place where you will find salvation from your sins the only place where you will find forgiveness, where you will be cleansed, where you will be set free from the bondage of sin, where you'll be empowered to walk a new life. And the gospel is good, and it is always good because it is true. Now, now we transition into Ephesians chapter 5. It's a letter written to the church in Ephesus, the ancient city of Ephesus, one of the largest cities in the Roman Empire. A long time ago, think, um, you know, 50, 60 AD, they probably would have received this letter many, many years ago. And we're going to be getting in uh, verses, we're going to be reading verses 15 through 21. But before we do that, I want to just remember who we are. We've also talked about that a few times already this morning. This, this letter is six chapters long. There's six chapters in it. The first three chapters, the author Paul, who also wrote the first Corinthians portion I, I read earlier, he goes on and on and on about who Christians are. That's his job. Three chapters, just reminding them who they are, what they've been saved from what God has saved them for. You know, they're no longer condemned. There's no more guilt. There's no more shame. They are free. They are forgiven. They come before God blameless. He says that we have been blessed in every way Jesus Christ has been blessed. He says that we have been caught up in the heavenly places. And he says that, you know, this world is not our home. We have an inheritance that we will receive. And the Bible teaches that the world just doesn't cease to exist at the end of time. The Bible teaches that the world will be restored to its natural beauty, we will be restored to a, a, a perfect bodies with no trace of sin. It's hard to even imagine what that's going to be like. To live pure mind, pure heart. Everything is going to be transformed and made new. So that's what Paul says. You are, you are children of God. You are citizens of his kingdom. You once were lost, but now you've been found. You once were dead, but now you are alive in Christ. And this message is going to be focusing on these six verses in Ephesians chapter 5, but also I have a lot of Bible throughout here because, you know, they, these verses that we're going to learn from today take a little bit of, um, of support to go around them. 
And so let me transition into saying, knowing who we are, knowing what God has called us to be, knowing we're yet imperfect, waiting for that perfect day where Jesus will come back and perfect his people. That's what it says in 1 John chapter 2. He was another apostle. He wrote a bunch of the Bible. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Because for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, is not from God, but it is of this world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. That's why I talked about earlier. There will be a day where sin will be no more. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. That's the calling to the Christian. Be careful to love the world because all that stuff in the world is of the world and it's going to pass away. And the only thing that will remain is the word and the church. Remember, this world has nothing to offer you. It has nothing to offer your heart. It has nothing to offer your soul. It has nothing to offer your mind. Your life will never fully be satisfied. We'll never find that ultimate satisfaction in anything of this world. Now we're tricked. We take the bait. We think we're going to. So we take all these different paths and we fail and we get frustrated and time after time we're let down by what the world offers. But let this be a reminder to our church as we continue to journey and serve one another and serve our neighborhood and serve our God that there is nothing in this world that will ultimately satisfy. There will never be anything. And so in the words of Jesus, let me encourage you this way. Matthew chapter 7 That's what he tells his followers. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. But for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And few are who find it. Enter by the narrow gate. Walk a narrow path as a believer. Don't don't take the easy road because you'll fall into a pit. Take the harder road because you'll be blessed. These are the words of our Savior, the one who calls us to follow him, the, the one who calls us to leave everything behind and come and die and embrace his word, embrace his spirit and live by his truth. Enter by the narrow gate. As we enter our fourth year, I would say let's encourage one another in this way of walking to enter the narrow gate, to walk the narrow path because broad is the way to destruction. And I do not think that you could look left or right and care or or wish destruction on anyone sitting around you or even wish destruction on those who are not here yet or wish destruction on those who will be here next year. So may we encourage one another to walk the narrow path. And the reason I mention that is because that is what Paul instructs the church in Ephesus to do. If you look at these verses we're about to read, that's what he's doing. He's saying, restrict your desires, run away from temptation, embrace the truth of God's word. Don't go the easy route, go through the narrow gate because that will lead to what? Life, real life. You know, I believe the Bible teaches that the person who has faith in Christ for the first time, they actually start living You may be 20, 30, 50, 60, 80, 90, I don't care. But until you've placed your faith in Christ, you haven't understood really what life offers because we're dead in our sin. We're bent towards worldly things and passions that are destructive to our own bodies. 
And then when you have faith in Christ and he awakens your dead soul and you're filled with his spirit, then you begin to, you begin to live. You begin to love the way God desires us to love. You begin to serve others the way he has created us to serve. You begin to speak and think the way he has created us to speak and think. So we must enter by the narrow gate. And so I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 5, 15 through 21. And I want you to think about how this is you walking the narrow gate. These instructions are you taking the hard path, not the easy path. So I'm going to read it and then I'm going to share three things that we can learn today. Here we go. Ephesians chapter 5. It will be on the Sky Bible. 15 through 21. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as, wa- not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do not get drunk with wine, but that is, filled with, but that is debauchery. That is um, self-destructive. You can think of that word that way. Do not be drunk with wine, for that is self-destructive, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Three things Paul instructs us to to be and to do as we walk the narrow path, as we follow Christ in this life. Number one, walk in wisdom. We're going to go over these again. Number one, walk in wisdom. Number two, be filled with God's Holy Spirit. And number three, simply encourage one another. Okay, we're going to take these one at a time. So through Paul, God writes and he speaks to us and he reveals to us what he desires for the Christian. And the first thing is that we would walk in wisdom, that we would walk in wisdom. God calls us to be wise. We all know um, kind of what this means because we actually all understand um, and we experience the effects of the unwise decision. I know usually what is unwise because a few days after I make a decision, I realized that was not wise. It's pretty apparent. Sometimes it hits us really hard. Sometimes it doesn't hurt as bad, but we usually understand the effects of an unwise decision. Remember, God routinely calls his people to live in accordance with who they are. And the Bible says that we have been given his grace of wisdom in our lives. No, there's a blessing in the Christian life and it's, yes, salvation from God's judgment upon sin. Yes, it is the empowering Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us. But the biggest blessing that, let's say it's my biggest blessing, my biggest conviction, is that I get to know who God is. That is a tremendous blessing. If you're a Christian, you get to know who God is. You, you understand the things of his heart and the things of his mind. You understand his wisdom. How amazing is it that the God who created all things seen and unseen wants you to know him? There is no other God like our God. All the other gods that are made by human hands and created by human ideas are too far away, too lofty. We're not good enough to even go close. So we better do a bunch of good things for him to love us or for her to love us or for it to love us. And not so with the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible says, I want to know you and I want to be known by you. And so Paul says, you can walk in wisdom. Titus 3, Paul wrote to a man named Titus in the New Testament. He says this, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others 
and hating one another. You're welcome. I'm sorry. That was your former life. Your former life was full of foolishness. My former life before Jesus was full of foolishness. I stand here and admit to you, I actually remember those days where I was a foolish young man. Not that I'm older now, but you get the point. I got a long way to go. But I, we were all foolish. We made foolish decisions. We said foolish things. We took foolish action. Why? Because we didn't know the wisdom of God. But now we do. So Paul says, don't walk as unwise people. Don't walk as foolish people. That was your former life. Remember who you are. Walk in wisdom. Ah, not anymore. We're not foolish. Walking in wisdom is one of those instructions that is easy to commit to, yet very hard to do. Amen? Okay, we're all on the same page there. Thank you. It is very easy to commit to. Even right now, you're like, I'm going to be wise forever. I know that feeling. We're all jacked up on Sunday morning, right? I can't wait till I get out in the world. I'm going to show everybody how wise I am. It's so easy to commit to. It's very hard to actually live out. It just is. You know, we, we have been saved, but we're not perfected. We have been given a new spirit, but we still carry the sinful flesh with its sinful passions and desires. And therefore, it's like a daily war. It's a daily battle to walk in wisdom. But here are a few things of, let me share a few characteristics of those who are wise. And here's some things that you can pursue. Here's some things that you can look for as you decide, as you determine, as you commit to being more wise in your life. Number one, those who are wise know where wisdom comes from. They know where wisdom comes from. Wisdom is found in the word of God alone. We believe the Bible, everything in the Bible is true. Every single bit of it. Because we believe it's from God. We believe it's from God. We believe that it's true. And therefore, everything in here is wise. Many unwise people, though, on the other hand, in this world, become dedicated to ideas or religions or fads that pop up every couple of years. We've all We've all been victims of this. A new way to think, a new, way, a new way to heal, a new way to move on with our life, a new strategy for building better friendships and influencing people or whatever. I don't know. Some of you were just offended, but you know what I'm saying. Yes, some of that stuff works on the surface, but let me tell you, it's not true wisdom. And what happens is we get sucked into these ways and it's really foolishness. It's unwise. A wisdom is found in the word of God and those who are wise know where wisdom is found. So they go there and they seek it and they desire it. Proverbs chapter two. In fact, all the book of Proverbs, this is in the middle of your Bible. It's kind of like poetry. It's basically called wisdom literature. They're not all promises. Let me warn you, okay? So don't read it and wondering why it's not happening to you. It's wisdom. Wisdom for your daily life. It's packed full of stuff. You could spend the rest of your life navigating Proverbs and never get sick and tired of it. Proverbs chapter two, verse six. For the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Amen. Proverbs 16, 16. How much better to get wisdom than gold? That's convicting for some of us. How much better, produce, I don't know what I'm saying. How much better to pursue the wisdom of God than to pursue a bigger paycheck or the next promotion or the next career? or the next zero in our bank account. The Bible would say it's far more important to pursue wisdom than gold. To get understanding is to be chosen 
rather than silver. And the Bible says the most valuable thing you can have in your life is the wisdom of God. Manifested in your life, lived out in your life. It's not the shiny things of this world. Remember, all that's going to pass away. It's a tool God has given us to live and to serve today. Let me make this very practical. Wisdom, walking in wisdom, knowing where wisdom comes from. Every thought, every decision, every reaction should start with what does God's word have to say about this? God has certainly spoken about all things. The Bible speaks about all things. All of our needs find, um, you know, all of our needs could be met in understanding what God has already communicated to us. And that's what it means to walk in wisdom. What does God's word say about this? Or how about this one? How does the good news of Jesus Christ and what he has done for me reshape this circumstance? How does it reshape the way I think about the person I don't like? How does it reshape the way I think or love the person I live with and committed my life to? How does the gospel reshape how I now speak to my children? How does the gospel reshape those who I believe to be my enemies? How does the gospel reshape what I watch and what I listen to and what I let come into my heart and my mind? That's where wisdom starts. This comes from the word of God, and it's a very practical way to put it into practice. If you find yourself losing, you know, on the losing end of a bad, unwise decision, which you may about on Tuesday, that'll probably happen. It happens to me quite often. I make unwise decisions. I fail. I take the bait. I succumb to temptation. I am not perfect. Jesus is, which is what makes the gospel so amazing. Amen? I'm not asking you to be perfect. I'm asking you to follow Christ because he is perfect. Let's say you're on the losing end of an unwise decision. I would say it's in that very moment that you realize it's time to go back. It's time to remember. It's time to submit your life to the truth of God's word. You know, the Christian answer, the church answer is always to read your Bible. You ever hear that? You're like, I have this really big problem. I don't know what to do. And the person's like, read your Bible. And you're like, oh, that is so typical. Well, (laughs) friends, there is really no other answer than to read your Bible Ask God to put it in effect in your life. Find a trusted friend to talk about it with and pray like crazy that God heals you or gives you the wisdom or gives you the strength to deal with the situation. May as a church, as we begin year four, never look at one another in times of need or times of pain and direct ourselves outside of what the Bible says. If you were to ever come to me and say, hey, I have this situation. I'd like your thoughts on it. Um, I need some counsel. I need some wisdom. Shame on me if I ever go outside of what the Bible says and give you that instruction. That's not what the Christian life is for. We are to pursue wisdom and we know where that's found. If you're on the the losing end of an unwise decision, just remember that the Bible says in Psalm 14, it's another book full of poetry. It says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And so he lives like it. There is no God. There's no heaven above, no hell below. So I will just do what I feel like I should do. Well, that's foolishness. That's foolishness. But the person who has been given wisdom and who searches it and who finds it, they look and see how great God is and they obey his word. So wise people are characterized by people who know where wisdom is found. And it's always found in the scripture, in the Bible. And as Paul says, they make the best use of their time. I'm putting those verses together. 
Don't be unwise, be wise. Make the best use of your time because the days are evil. That's what Paul says. God has given to each one of us a specific amount of time in which to do, to do the good works he has called us to do, right? You're not saved to sit. I mean, stay seated for now, but you're not saved to sit. You're saved to serve. God has freed you from the selfish way of living so that you would look outside of yourself and go pursue other people. So the love of God, the care of God, the character of God would be expressed to the people around us. That's what we've been saved to do. The church is unlike any other group because they should truly want to serve people selflessly with no expectation of return. None. And if the church ever serves in a way where they expect a return, they're not doing it right. And the church is supposed to serve those who hate us and who consider us to be their enemies and who even actively persecute us, wish to do us harm. We're to serve one another. We make the best use of our time. Paul has already wrote this a few chapters back, remember? Ephesians 2, chapter, Ephesians 2, chapter uh, verse 10. I stutter when I get excited. Here we go. For we are his workmanship. That's what the Christians are. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God, what? Prepared for beforehand, that we should walk in them. Yes, he knew you before the foundations of the world were laid. Yes, he knew you'd be alive in this day and in this time. And yes, he chose this day and time in which you should be alive. He knows everything that is about to happen. He knows everything that has happened. He is the beginning and the end. And he has created you and then saved you for good works, to serve other people, to bring glory to his name, not your own, to be about his agenda, not yours. So when we waste time, we're, we're affecting more than just the hours in the day or the minutes in the hour or that afternoon. When we waste time with foolish pursuits or hobbies or agendas, we're wasting the opportunities God has created us for. We're wasting opportunities God has created us for. So are you wasting the time God has given you? Walk the narrow road. You can't be about everything. Walk the narrow path. Narrow in your focus. If you're a parent, do not waste time with your children. Be more intentional with them. Right? They shouldn't just float around you. They shouldn't just orbit around the house. I know it's difficult. I have five. I speak from experience. Now, all my kids are amazing. Every single one of them. And you would say the same thing about yours. But we do realize as parents, we often waste time. We're not intentional in the ways we should be intentional. We think there are more important things to do. Well, maybe the most important thing to do this afternoon or tomorrow is to realize you're raising a little human. And that little human is going to be a big human pretty soon. Be intentional with them. Do not waste your time. In your marriage, be more intentional in your marriage. Can you imagine somebody actually stood across from you and said they'd stay with you for the rest of their life? Amazing. (laughs) That's what I think every day. I cannot believe you said yes. (laughs) Right? All guys, you married up, women, and so did you. All right? But can you imagine that somebody actually stood across from you and said, good or, good or ugly, right? I'm going to be there. You're mine. I'm yours. And then we realize how unintentional we've been. We've wasted precious moments, precious hours, busy with stuff, things that never pan out, agendas that we wish to, to see fulfilled in our lives that are really just a waste of time and probably selfish. 
If you're a young person, yes, video games, YouTube, and Instagram are a waste of time. They are fun. I like entertainment. I love it. I love to be entertained. All of those things are a waste of time. It's, yes, what our grandparents said is true. And what my parents told me is true. (laughs) Amazing, right? Those things are fun. But be careful. Entertainment is a waste of time. If you are someone who is waiting for the other someone to show up, let's say you're single. People in church are always like, you're always talking to the married people. What about me? All right, I got something for you. Right? If you're waiting for that someone, if you desire to commit your life to somebody else, to have a loving relationship, to have a marriage, let me tell you, don't waste time while you wait. Prepare while you wait. Prepare. Prepare while you wait. Prepare your heart. Prepare to give your heart to somebody else. That takes a lot of effort and a lot of work. Amen, married people? It takes a lot of work, so you gotta prepare. Prepare the home. Prepare your bank account. Prepare your emotions. Get busy preparing so that when God puts that person in your life, and please wait for God to put that person in your life, that's the most important thing. You're ready. Listen, I know as well as you know that it just takes a little distraction to get us to waste time. I know this. This is true. Sometimes it's a two-minute distraction that wastes a whole bunch of time later on. Two minutes can distract you for five hours. I get it. There's this great, great, um, not great, great quote from Napoleon, not that one, the old one, the guy who killed a bunch of people, not the funny one. And he said this, there is in the midst of every great battle, a 10 to 15 minute period that is the crucial point. Take, the, take that period and you win the battle. Lose it and you will be defeated. So listen, each and every day, there will be a period of your life where distractions will creep in. Our job to walk the narrow path is to win that battle. Amen? Just win the battle. God will take care of the rest. Just win every small battle of distraction. Minimize the distractions. Your future self will definitely thank you. So walk in wisdom. Next, Paul tells us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I will not spend as much time on these next two The first one was a major one for us as a church. So it says, Ephesians chapter five, verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. That is self-destructive, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me be clear. Drinking alcohol is not said to be a sin in the Bible. Now you could look up about 16,000 books written on this topic, and you can get 16,000 opinions from every single Christian you know. Drinking alcohol is not a sin. Getting drunk absolutely is a sin. And let me be more clear. As a loving friend and pastor, if you cannot function or be friendly or make it through your day or deal with stress or communicate with your family, if you're not able to go one day, one week, one month, one year without needing to drink alcohol, I really want you to take this warning seriously. I very, very much want you to take this warning seriously. See, the thing is, a lot of Christians get told, well, don't drink, you shouldn't do that. Like it's some sort of moral thing that we do because we're prideful and we don't want you to do it. What does Paul say? It's not out of pride. It's not out of morality that the Christian says, be better, don't drink. Why shouldn't we drink? Well, because we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why. 
Alcohol is not your friend. Alcohol will not ease your pain. Alcohol will never cure your loneliness. Alcohol has never cured depression. Many people have tried. It's never worked. Alcohol has never offered you purpose in this life. A drunkenness will destroy your heart. Drunkenness will deteriorate your mind, which is why some of you have already talked yourself out of needing the help that you need. Drunkenness increases loneliness because it isolates you. Drunkenness makes you a liar. Therefore, your relationships suffer. A drunkenness causes you to live uncontrolled lives. And most of the time, the most painful thing is everybody else can see it, but you. So Paul says, do not get drunk because why? That is self-destructive. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be filled with drink. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now it's 2019 and we're smoking weed for fun these days. So let's say, let's say it's alcohol, it's any substance, it's any drug, right? Right? Even the drugs the doctor gives you that are like given to you, be careful. Because you can say the same things about those. We are not to be controlled by anything but the Holy Spirit. That is the Christian's narrow path. Why? Why, why, why? Because when we are drunk, we are intoxicated by some sort of pill or some sort of thing, there's no room to be filled with God's Holy Spirit. Now, I want to talk about being filled for a minute because there's a difference here. Okay? Paul has already said in this letter a few things about the Holy Spirit. He has said the Holy Spirit has indwelled you. That's true, right? Even Jesus says this about the Holy Spirit. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask God the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it doesn't know him or see him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be with you. So the promise that Jesus gives his followers, is says, uh, he says, I'm on the earth now, but when I leave, when I ascend, when I go up, which he did, he says, I'm gonna send a helper. I'm not gonna leave you alone. I'm going to empower you. God is gonna dwell in your heart and your life and in your mind. That's the indwelling Holy Spirit. Every Christian is indwelled equally. Like I don't have more Holy Spirit than you do. That's a lie, okay? I'm not more holy or more indwelled with the spirit because I'm two feet higher and I have a microphone on. That's not the difference. We all have the same indwelling Holy Spirit. He is a person. He indwells everyone. And then Paul says, this Holy Spirit seals us as well. So we're indwelled with him and we're sealed with him. He said this back in chapter one, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth in Jesus, when you heard about what was true about him, when you heard the gospel that led to your salvation, and then what he says next, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promise, Holy Spirit. We talked about this a few weeks back. Being sealed is our guarantee. It is our inheritance. Being sealed means your salvation is not in jeopardy of being lost. God is not going to leave you when you sin. God is not going to leave you when you screw up again, because you will. We've been promised. We've been sealed. Now, although every Christian is indwelled and every Christian is sealed, every Christian will also experience weakness and frustration and defeat if they're not being filled. There's the difference. Weakness, frustration, and defeat. I've been there and I know you have too. And that is because we're not being filled with the Holy Spirit. Think of it like this. 
Being filled with the Holy Spirit is this uh, moment by moment, day by day, week by week, month by month, reliance and dependence upon God's Holy Spirit to do all things. Moment by moment. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is to be carried along by God's Holy Spirit just as a boat is carried along by its sail. No wind, sail doesn't go. Boat stays still. Not filled with the Holy Spirit, your Christian life is where you're at today and going backwards. See, we are to be filled. And this means that being filled with the Holy Spirit is to be completely dominated and controlled by the Spirit of God, which is the Spirit of truth. And so we see filling our bodies with stuff that gets us drunk or intoxicated or high or whatever you want to be, or we can begin to see how this would drastically diminish the work of God's spirit in our lives. He has called us to do good works, but we fill our body with all sorts of stuff that that leaves no room for him. If alcohol is controlling you, the spirit is not. That should devastate us. And if the spirit is not, Paul has already said you're grieving him. You're making him sad. We desire for the Holy Spirit to smile upon our knife, not frown. It is interesting that Paul tells this young church in Ephesus, do not get drunk, be filled. And it seems as though this young church was struggling with addiction. They used to worship other gods. They used to go to the temple and do all. Our worship service is super conservative compared to what they were doing in Ephesus. Stuff I won't even mention from here about what they were told to do if they wanted to worship correctly. So you can imagine people, Christians, coming out of this environment, and Paul has to tell them, don't do that anymore. Instead, God has offered a way for you to walk in truth, walk the narrow path, be close with him, experience his promise and his grace and his love, and it is to be filled with his spirit. Walk in wisdom, be filled with the spirit, last, encourage one another. Verses 19 through 21, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God and the God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The church is where we come to heal, speaking truth to one another, sometimes in the form of a song, thank you, worship team. That doesn't mean you have to walk through those doors singing, although you can if you want. This does not mean we don't talk anymore like this, but we'd rather sing. That's not really what we're going after. What Paul is going after is that your heart should be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what you do now to the people whom you say you love is you encourage them with the truth. The melody, the song that is playing in your heart. We all have that song, right? That we love. We would say like, this is my song. I don't know how many people listen to it, but this artist wrote this song for me and they know it. Like we have that, right? Some of you, it's the wrong song, but, but you love it. Do you? Okay, whatever. Now, like think about living your Christian life, being filled with so much joy that it's like singing and making melody. I mean, music makes everyone happy. I have never met a person who says, no, I don't like music. (laughs) What? We all like music because God created us to like music to make melody, to hear beautiful sounds. And that is how we're to approach one another. The church is where we come to heal. 
speaking to one another with words of truth, being built up by God's truth. The church is where we come to be, to renew our hope, giving thanks to him, remembering what he has done. Every service is just remembering what God has done and looking forward to what he will do in our lives. The church is the people who desire the very, very best for one another at all times. And sometimes that's really hard because a lot of us are stubborn and do not want to listen. But this church ought to be a place who wants the very best for one another. And therefore, we treat one another as Jesus has treated us. We make melody in our heart towards one another. We address one another, not with bitterness or with malice or with frustration or with anger. Don't make it a habit to always complain to your Christian friends. That is super draining, just so you're aware. There is a time for confession and to say, I need to say something. It's going to sound mean, but I can no longer hold it in. That's okay. We do that all the time. But be wary of the effect you have on them. Don't stop speaking. Say it in the right way. So let me close. Today, we begin our fourth year as a local church. And to be honest, there was a group of 22 adults and 32 kids who decided to launch a church, and we had no idea if anybody would walk into this building. But church, as we walk our fourth year, may we all walk the narrow path. Enter the narrow gate. It's not a straitjacket, it's a blessing. To walk in wisdom, to be filled with his spirit, to encourage one another the way God has asked us to encourage one another. And for some of you this morning, entering the narrow gate means shedding your dependence on the things of this world. Do not love the world, nor the things of this world, because these things are passing away. For some of us, we need to shed our dependence on relationships and substance and money and status and whatever else there is that has gotten our attention to make us feel like life is worth it. Those will always let you down every time. For some of us, entering the narrow gate today as we begin year four is to shed all that. And let me tell you, you can't bring a lot of stuff through a narrow gate anyways. You get the idea? <laughs> a lot of that stuff you've been carrying, you have to drop behind. And you know what? It hurts at first, but two minutes later, you realize how much of a blessing it is that you're no longer carrying that. No shame, no guilt, no dependence, only on God. For others, entering through the narrow gate means turning from your life of self-dependence and sinfulness and receiving the gift that God has offered every single person who has ever been born. And that gift is salvation. That gift is his son who lived the very perfect life which God has told you to live and you couldn't do it. And then he took the punishment that you deserve because of your rebellion towards God. And Jesus says, I die so you live. That's the good news. That's the gospel. So I want to enter into a time of communion today. And I want to think about that. Two things that we need to think about as a church. Number one, for some of us, entering through the narrow gate means shedding your dependence on the things of this world. And as you walk towards the communion table, we pick up this cracker and this juice, and we're saying with that, every time we do that, we're saying only Jesus, salvation all the time. It's only him. That's what we're saying. And I'm telling you, for you to come up here in the right state of mind, you need to sit there and confess that you have absolutely depended on other things. I have. I have. 
listen, I don't want you to walk up here if you're perfect. I want you to walk up here if you're repentant, if you're sorrowful for what you have done, and you're once again depending on God's grace to carry you to Monday. Amen? There's no perfect people allowed. They would just frustrate all of us. As a Christian, some of us need to say, God, I'm sorry, I, I have not put my faith and trust in you. I have depended on everything this world has to offer. And for those who have yet to receive Christ as Lord and Savior, to believe in him, to trust in him, to be filled with God's spirit, the Bible says every day is the day of salvation. Every day. Every day. More and more people are turning away from their life of sin and they're embracing the gift that God has given to this world, his son. Let me explain that to you. You believe in him. You believe he is your sacrifice. You believe he is your life. You believe that when you believe in him, you stand before God as blameless and righteous and made new. That is salvation. For some of you today, you need to pray to God. You need to say, I receive you. I'm done. I want to become a Christian so I can be filled with your spirit, indwelled by your spirit, empowered by your spirit. I want to walk through that narrow gate. I want to live a life of blessing from God. I no longer want to struggle under the weight of my sin. I invite you to come up here and join in what the church is doing. Now remember, this is not a ritual. This is, doesn't mean you're saved if you do this. This is an act of remembrance, okay? It's just us remembering. This is a physical sign of what has happened in our life. That's why we do this. So take a few minutes and pray. When you're ready, come down the middle aisle, gather and go back to your seat. We'll observe communion together.